Romans chapter 8. We'll be dealing with verses 10 and 11 today. It says, And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. I mentioned last week, but this is the 97th message in, in Romans here. Um, so we're closing in on that, that century mark. Um, I didn't think we'd be this far by 100 messages, but by way of review, if you remember Paul's dealings here in, in Romans chapter 8, remember in 6 and 7, he was kind of dealing with a parenthesis and some, some issues that he could have raised from chapter 5 and verses, and then we come to chapter 8 and he said, there, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you remember when I when we first started this chapter, I mentioned how the Spirit is mentioned 22 times in this chapter. So if there was ever a chapter about the Spirit of God, this is our chapter here. We've seen that the Spirit gives us life. We'll see that again today. Uh, we saw from chapter, or verses 7, 8, that the carnal mind or the carnal man or the fleshly mind or the fleshly man or the natural man, the man outside of Christ, says is hostile towards God. He doesn't obey God because he cannot obey God. He cannot please God. And then we saw last week, however you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone has not the Spirit of, him, of Christ, he does not belong to him. So if we're believers in Jesus Christ today, we have the Spirit within us, and we're not fleshly, we're spiritual. And we can obey God, and we can please God. Why? Because we have His obedience and His, Him pleasing God in our place, placed into our account. So today, I actually have a title for this message. Um, it's a pretty simple title. It's just called, A Full and Complete Salvation. It's a full and complete salvation. So what we can see in these verses here is kind of a small, uh, the Latin term is ordo salutis, that means order of salvation. We see a little, a little small order of salvation here. And it doesn't include all of the order of salvation, but we can see a small chain here. And my, the chain is going to be my three points here. The first one is regeneration. The second one is justification. And the third one is glorification. We see those three doctrines taught in these two verses here. So the first one, regeneration. I'm going to read verse 10 again. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. The body may be dead, but the spirit is alive. The idea here is the same as what has been presented in Romans 8 so far. Look back at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's a spirit of life. He is the spirit of life. So when the spirit comes, he makes you alive. 
and set you free from the law of sin and of death. So you're not only alive by the Spirit, but you are set free by the Spirit from death and from sin. It's the same contrast we see here in verse 10. The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. You have been set free. So let's start with how and why the body is dead. Why? The first question I'm going to answer is, why is the body dead? And it's quite easy. It's because of sin, as it says in the text. However, let's see this, though. This is almost elementary Christianity here. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2. And verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. And then down, or go over to chapters 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the, tree, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was, de that it was a de delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. God said, you eat from this tree, you will die. Satan says, did God really say that? Then the woman says, <laughs> we can't even touch the tree. God never said that. He said, don't eat from the tree. And then what did they do? They went ahead and ate from the tree anyways. And then what do you think is going to happen? Satan said, you shouldn't die. God says, you're going to die. They come and they eat from the tree. And they look down at verse 19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return that means to die they ate that tree and they died Adam and Eve aren't walking earth anymore right they're dead but we also know that this wasn't the only way that they died they died physically right because they ate of the tree, they ended up dying physically, but they also died spiritually as well. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, You hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We, Christians, were dead in trespasses and sins. He has made us alive. Who? The Spirit. The Spirit of life. The Spirit is life. Mankind, because of sin, has died spiritually, and they will die physically. And we are dying physically. 
We must realize this. Every second that passes, we're dying. Every single second that passes, we're dying. And the, the, even the scientific community, the, the, the worldly scientific community will at least acknowledge this, right? That we're all dying. We're all headed down that way. The second law of thermodynamics, which they, you know, we would like to claim that men made that up, but we didn't make that up. They, that came because of sin. All things tend towards chaos or towards death. That's us. Your cells die all day, every day. However, when you're young, you're producing more cells than are dying. And then you get to a certain age and that flips. Your body stops producing as many cells and you're still dying. Your body slows down and your cells are dying faster than, than they are produced. So we are all dying. So I preach as a dying man to dying men. This is because of sin now. Before Adam sinned, his cells didn't die. There was no death before sin. Therefore, these, these theories of evolution, or if you want to Christianize and call it theistic evolution, that some like to hold to, they're not true. For that false teaching to be true, there must there had to be death before sin, and there was no death before sin. Death was a result of the fall. So we are dying. Our body is dead, as what Paul says. Listen to Matthew Henry on this. We cannot say but that the body is dead. That's what he's quoting right here from Romans chapter 8, verse 10. We cannot say but that the body is dead. It is a frail, mortal, dying body, and it will be dead shortly. It is a house of clay whose foundation is in the dust. The life purchased and promised does not immortalize the body in its present state. It is dead. That is, it is appointed to die. It is under a sentence of death. As we say, one that is condemned is a dead man. In the midst of life, we are in death. But our bodies, be our bodies ever so strong and healthful and handsome, they are as good as dead. And this is because of sin. It is sin that kills the body. That was Matthew Henry. I didn't add the word handsome in there. That's what Matthew Henry put in there. Our bodies are dead. We carry about death with us. Why? Because of sin. And I won't say it's not only because of Adam's sin, but it's because of our own sins too. Our own sins that we practice. Your body is as good as dead. However, this is the part we Christians should love. Yes, our bodies will die. Our bodies are dead. But our spirit is alive. This is that doctrine of regeneration. See, the doctrine of regeneration, it couldn't be true if you were to claim Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism that this doctrine of original sin or total depravity isn't true, then the doctrine of regeneration gets thrown out the window too. Because we need regeneration as dead people. Those that deny total depravity and original sin do so to their own peril. We need regeneration because we are dead. We need to be made alive spiritually and only one can do this. You cannot do this to or for yourself. Just as the dead corpse cannot just get up out of the grave and put back on flesh and muscle and start walking around, 
The spiritually dead corpse needs someone outside of himself to make him alive before he can do anything. And that's where the spirit comes in, right? This is where, like Jason prayed before service, prayed for the children. Why? Because as much as I can preach the gospel to them and try to, and try to live life rightly, it'll mean nothing if the spirit does not breathe life into them. This is the Spirit's ministry. We dealt with it a couple, couple weeks ago. Verse 2, it says He's the Spirit of life. He's the Spirit of life because He gives life. Remember in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, The letter kills, but the Spirit makes alive. Our problems as humans isn't that we need to try Jesus. It's not that we just we have everything together. We just need to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on there. It's not that we have this life almost nailed down, and if we just added Jesus to it, then we could have a fulfilled life, right? It's that we are dead, stinking wretches that hate God, love our sin, and will die in them. Unless the Spirit comes and gives life, gives us faith and repentance to believe upon Christ, and to look at our lives outside of Him as nothing but dumb. Have we come to that conclusion? As much as we struggle and do all, everything in this world that we look at all that and say it's nothing but dumb. I'm not made for here. This is what we need as humans. Not your best life now. But to die to yourself and be made alive in Christ. That's what the Spirit does. He makes your spirit alive. Though the body is dying, He makes your spirit alive. This actually reminds me of a picture. Turn up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians five verse one. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens. That earthly tent is our this shell that we live in. This is our tent of our body. For indeed, in this house we groan. Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal shall be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepares us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Do we speak like that? We sh Therefore, being always of good courage, Do, do we prefer rather to be absent from the body and be home with the Lord? Now this section right here is only true of you if the Spirit has made you alive. It's not absent from the body, present from the Lord, and be of good courage if you're not made alive. 
If the Spirit has regenerated you, when you are absent from this body, which is mortal and dying, you will be at home with the Lord. This is what Christianity is about, right? This is, this is, this is what this is about, right? Is that one day I won't be here anymore. That when I leave this body, when I leave this tent, I have a home with God. It's not all about this just theological knowledge, right? Though I would argue that that's good. It's not about debates on different topics, though that can be good. It's not about just coming to church on Sundays, right? Even though that's good. It's about the fact that I was spiritually dead. And the Spirit has made me alive in Christ. And when on that day I'm finally absent from this body, I will be present with the Lord. And I can have complete confidence in this fact. Complete confidence. Amen. Let's move on here. Look back at Romans chapter 8. I'll read those two verses again. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. My second point, that first point is regeneration. Second point is justification. You're like, Jeremy is not there. It's not in the text. How do you get it from... Why do you have a point that's not in the text? It's there. It's clear too. It's because of righteousness. That's what it says. That's, that's the word there. The word is dikaiosune. It means justification or righteousness. Remember way back in... In teaching on justification, way back, I think it was way back in chapter 1, I mentioned that those words are almost interchangeable. Justification and righteousness, they're almost interchangeable. This is what I mean. Your body is dead, but your spirit is alive through righteousness or justification. Now, how can they be the same? Well, they're not exactly the same, but they are tied together in this sense. There's no justification without righteousness. There's no righteousness without justification. If you're justified, you're righteous. If you're righteous, you're justified. They're inseparable. But let's dig a little bit deeper here. When we think of the term justification, I think our mind should go to a courtroom. That's where the terms used most of the, the, the justice department, right? Or, or they're laying out justice in our earthly realm. Justification. We go to that courtroom. It's a legal term. Justification is. If you're being accused of a crime and the court finds you innocent, it's that you were justified. Justice has been served. You didn't do the crime. You're innocent, right? You're justified. Justice has been served. Why? Because it was found that you didn't commit the crime. However, in the courtroom of God, we have all sinned come short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all have broken His laws. So how can we be justified in His courtroom? I could care less if I'm justified in this courtroom, if I'm justified in His courtroom, but how can I be justified in His courtroom because I've broken His laws? I am guilty. I can't just say I'm innocent, God. I didn't know. Yes, you knew, and you stand guilty before God in His courtroom. How can I be justified in his courtroom? I'm glad you asked that. 
This is through the person and work of Christ. Christ, the God-man, came down from heaven and took on flesh. And He took it on for a reason. He was born of a woman for a reason, by a virgin for a reason. It wasn't just to be born. It was to come down and keep the law. To do the law. To obey the law. To fulfill the law. This was the reason He was born. That's the reason for Christmas. We all like to celebrate Christmas, right? Some of us might not. But we don't celebrate it because of a birth. We celebrate it because that birth was for a reason. And it was to fulfill the law, to obey the law perfectly and completely. And if we miss that, we miss the whole thing. This is where the world has Christmas wrong, right? He was born of a virgin to live a life of obedience to the law. But why? Why would he be born just to obey the law? I mean, did God need to prove that he could obey the law? Or maybe it was to give us an example, right? You know, people say that often. Christ lived to give us an example. No, he didn't. You know, what would Jesus do thing? You can't do everything Jesus did. And if you did it, it would be sin to come in here and start flipping tables and whipping people. Unless it's your children. <laughs> of course, this is not what Scripture speaks about as Christ giving us just an example. Jesus said to John the Baptist at his baptism that he came to fulfill all righteousness. Which means he came to fulfill the law. See, our problem is we have no righteousness. And we need perfect righteousness. Jesus came to provide that for his people. It wasn't as an example. It was as a, an, as a substitute. He fulfilled Righteousness, and we, or we can say that he fulfilled the law, and by doing so, he has a perfect righteousness as a man. We must not forget that. So when he walked to that Roman cross, it wasn't just that he was innocent. It wasn't like I, I only I never did those crimes, because I'm sure the Romans crucified many innocent people. It was that he was perfectly righteous. It wasn't just that I did not do this, but it's that I have a perfect righteousness and you're nailing me to a cross. None of us could have said that. If back in those days, if you lived under that Roman rule and Rome came to your door and said, we have heard, heard that you stole from this person and you will be crucified today, but you didn't do it. You still didn't have perfect righteousness. He had perfect righteousness and was nailed to that cross. They crucified Jesus who not only committed no crimes, but had perfect righteousness. So His death wasn't for His crimes. It was for yours, elect of God. We not only had no righteousness, but we had lives full of sin that deserved death. So even if the Romans did accidentally mess up and crucify us for something that we didn't do, we still deserve to be crucified. He did not. 
And yet he went there with the full, perfect righteousness. And we have none. He died our death that we deserved. He fulfilled righteousness. Then became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, right? This is what's called the great exchange. Your sins are placed on Him and His righteousness is given to you. Then He rose from the grave and as it says in Romans chapter 4, we already dealt with it, but it was for our justification. Are you seeing this? There's no salvation outside of this. You have no salvation outside of this. The Spirit make, doesn't make people alive apart from this. It's through righteousness that you have been made alive. Not your righteousness neither. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that even our righteousness is as filthy rags. We had no righteousness, and all of our sin is placed upon Him, and He had a perfect righteousness, did not deserve to die a death, and all He paid for those sins and gave us all His righteousness. Nay, send it to the right hand of the Father where He sits down victorious over sin and death. It's through this work that you have been made alive. Don't be confused, brethren. If one claims to be made alive and rejects this work, they are still dead in their sins. There is no life for those outside of Christ who don't believe upon the person and work of Christ. And this is how you have righteousness perfect righteousness and justification. You stand in the courtroom of God now as not just innocent, but with a full and complete righteousness. It's not that you just stand in God's courtroom like, no, I, I, I'm not guilty of those crimes. You walk into that courtroom holy and just and righteous now because of what He did. Jesus didn't come down to give us an example, but to rescue us from death and give us life and life more abundant. Which leads me to my last point here. To take us to glory. Right? Go back here to Romans 8. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. This is not all we have, right? This verse should tell us that. This ain't it. I know I mentioned this last week, but this is something that needs constant reminding to us. This is not all you have. This life in this mortal body is just a blip in the radar. It's just a, a, a grain of sand on the seashore of eternity. Yet, yes, we ought to lay down this life too. And we're called to this for a reason. But it's a short period of time. 
and we'll be in eternity. All of us here. Whether believer or unbeliever. But for the believer, you can rest in the fact that you have eternal rest in Christ. Eternal rest in Christ. He has purchased it for you by His blood. He has sent His Spirit to you as a down payment, if you will. That's what Scripture gives us that picture of the Holy Spirit. It says He's the earnest of our inheritance until the, per- the, the, until the redemption of the purchased possession. And He has opened the gates of heaven for you, brother. He has granted you access to walk in the glory. This King of glory has entered in. So lift up your heads. He has entered in, and all those in Him will also enter into glory. No one that the Father gave the Son will be lost. All that come to Him, He shall raise up in the last day. Not only that, brethren, but check this out. It's not just, yes, we have this 60, 70, 80 years here, and then we, then we leave here, and then we go, and we're just in eternal bliss, right? But we'll be given new bodies. I often wonder in my own head what those new bodies look like. Why well, I still have the same scars and stuff on this body in glory? I have at least my 25-year-old body. <laughs> but we'll be given new bodies. We won't be disimpersoned bodies for all of eternity. It's not like we're just spirits without bodies for all of eternity. And we aren't just spirits floating around on clouds, right? We're not little fat cherub, cherubs playing harps on clouds, right? I'm not sure where this, that theology came from to begin with. But you will not... This isn't in my notes. You don't change into an angel when you die. An angel is a created being that God created in creation week, and you will not change into that. You will be a human for all of eternity. But we'll be given new bodies. And hopefully they're not, they don't look like fat cherubs. But they're like this body, but immortal bodies. And you know, this isn't something just the New Testament teaches either, right? This isn't something that all of a sudden we get to the New Testament and all of a sudden it's like some new teaching. There's proof of that. I think there's clear proof of that. You know, the Sadducees, they rejected the resurrection. This was a distinction about that group. You had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees rejected the resurrection. Hence why when they came to Jesus and asked him about the woman that had been married seven times in, in glory, who, who, who's she going to be married to? Or they say in the resurrection, who will she be married to? They rejected the resurrection because it was believed. Because people believed the resurrection. Why did they believe the resurrection? Because it was in the Old Testament. Turn with me to Job. Chapter 19. Job 19. Verse 25. This is some of my favorite verses right here. Job 19, 25. 
And as for me, this joke, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet my flesh, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom mine eyes shall see, and not another. My heart faints within me. Job, y'all know Job's the oldest book. Job, they say, was written about, he was a contemporary of Abraham. It was written about Abraham's time. So all the way back then, he knew there was a resurrection. He knew that, that I will see him in my flesh. I will be given a new body. This one takes a little bit of skill, theological skill to uh, interpret this, but he says, after my skin is destroyed, in my flesh shall I see God. How does that work? I don't know. We will know one day. Then he says, my eyes shall see him. Guess what happens if we were to go dig up a grave outside right now? How many eyeballs will we see? Probably none. If they've been in the grave for any point in time, they're gone. It's just bones. There's no eyeballs left. But Job says, then I will see him. My eyes will see him. In my flesh I will stand before him. He knew there was a resurrection. This life is by far not the end. But this is the only time that the resurrection is spoken of. Turn with me to, this is the big text here. 1 Corinthians 15. Declares that he was seen of over 500 brethren after his resurrection. Proves that without the resurrection there is no gospel. Shows Christ as the first fruit. He was the first one raised. He was given an immortal body as a man. And he uses that to show us in verse 50. Actually, let's back up. I don't know where to back up to because there's so much in here. Let's go to verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. <laughs> that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Do y'all know anything about farming? That's what it's talking about. You take a seed, you put it in the ground, it dies, and what comes out of it? Not a seed, the plant. Hopefully. Verse 37. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body, which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as He wishes. And to each of the seeds... A body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another of fish. 
There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon another, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. For as it also is it written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on this imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brethren, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That's a lot. A lot of teaching there. But it's clear. It's very clear. If you're in Christ, He is the first fruit of the resurrection. He was the first to raise from the grave, take on a new body, and ascend into glory as a man. Now we who are in Him follow Him. Not by our power, but by His power and, by his, and for His glory. And how else should Paul end something like this? He goes through this beautiful teaching of resurrection. And then what does he say in the last verse? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Because of this most blessed truth, go to work. That's pretty much what he said. Which will take me to the application portion. But let me read this Romans 8 one more time. Verse 10 and 11 again. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who endures. Your body is dead, but your spirit is alive because of justification or righteousness. And because of this work, which was accomplished by God, He will also take you to glory. Completely on His own power. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus, right? 
We have a full and complete salvation, brethren. And it's a free gift given by God to His elect. Amen. Let's move into our application now. The call to faith and repentance to the first to the unbeliever, as always, to the person in here that, that doesn't know Christ. Maybe the person in here that's given lip service. The, you know, they had the tares with the wheat, right? The picture is the tares with the wheat. What, 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 what's that picture? They look exactly the same. <laughs> you don't know which one is which. You don't know if it's a tear or a wheat. So it's not my job to come up here and try to tear out all the tares because I'll tear out the wheat with it. But there might be tares in here that don't know Christ, but that show up on Sundays and Wednesdays. All of this talk of regeneration, justification, glorification actually means nothing to you if you're outside of Christ. Probably words you've never heard or paid attention to before. The ultimate re reality is, though, these words are facts that are only true for those in Christ. Only those in Christ have regeneration, justification, and will be glorified. If you're outside of Christ and you don't know Christ, you have not been made alive, you stand guilty before God and you will not enter the kingdom of God. No matter how much the world wants to put you at ease about death. That's what the world tries to do, don't they? They try to make death look easy. That's why we paint up corpses and have funerals. Four or five days after the body's dead. They want that body to stay preserved at least until we can see it so it looks like us. So you don't feel uncomfortable. But you should feel uncomfortable because we're all going there. The world tries to tell you that you know they're in a better place. Yet they rejected Christ their whole life. Hell is not a better place. And there's only one name under heaven by which man may be saved, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ, when you perish, you are not in a better place, but in a place of torment due to a sinful life. Ah, but pastor, my life isn't that sinful. Your whole life is sinful if you're outside of Christ. The mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God and cannot obey God and cannot please God. Even one sin is enough to damn someone to hell forever. One sin. Why? Because one sin is one infinite law that is broken against an infinite God. Therefore, the punishment is infinite. Hence why it took the God-man to save us. Hence why I can't die a death for you. I can't save you. It took a man to die for men but this man also had to be eternal to pay an eternal debt. And that's exactly what Christ did. He died an eternal debt and rose from the grave. And He commands you this morning, if you don't know Him, to repent and believe upon Him. Or perish. That's it. That's the calling for you today. It's not to understand all these spiritual truths. This pastor up there talking about justification and glorification and I don't know what he's even talking about. It's not about that. It's about understanding this, that you are a sinner who deserves punishment. 
because of your sin of breaking His law. And God came down in the person of the Son, kept the law, and took the punishment that was deserved for His elect. He then rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father where He sat down victorious and makes intercession for His people. Your call is to believe that, to understand that. That's all I want for you. So don't leave here today without understanding this. And to the believer here. I know sometimes, as believers, you know, we, we mope through this world as though we've lost the battle. Sometimes we get so caught up in our worldly thinking that we forget that this battle has been won and we're going to glory. We may go days or weeks without even thinking about this fact. And shame on us for doing this. 1 John 3, 2, 3 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath his hope in Him purifies himself even as He is pure. You are now the sons of God, brethren, or daughters of God. And we shall be like Him. And if you have this hope, you will be purified. This is something we should be thinking of. And I don't mean to think of it simply like an escape from this world. That's what we often think, right? It's just an escape from this world. It's an escape from our dead-end job. I hate my job. I wish God would just take me home. I can't stand working with this person. I wish God would just take me home. That's not, what this, that's not what this is about. That's not what I'm talking about. But whatever little finite reason we can think of, it's an escape from the presence of sin, which we should hate. It's not sin to work a job, a dead-end job even of that. It's not sin to be around people that drive you crazy. That's the stuff we should actually count as joy. Y'all recognize that? We should count that stuff as joy. I don't know if you heard my prayer this morning, but I, I was thinking about it after I fell yesterday and my neck's all messed up. And this should be joyous. It helped me realize, you know what? Even if I'm 6'4", 250, in the best shape of my life, I'm not. But if I was in the best shape of my life, when I was about in the best shape of my life, I got bit by one fire ant, and it made me not be able to walk. But it should be joyous, you know why? Because it, it makes me recognize that I'm still weak. And you too. Those pains, when you get those pains, and you don't ever wake up in the middle of the night and your chest is hurting, and you think, oh, well, this is a big one. <laughs> That's... You have that though. And you're like, I'm, I'm going home. It should remind us that we don't keep these hearts beating. We don't keep the air in our lungs. God does it. We should count this stuff as joy. For the trying of our faith works patience. But our minds should be set on things eternal. This, this Anything that we're going through physically should set our minds on things eternal. Not simply leaving here, but on fighting sin here. On advancing God's kingdom while we're here. 
Glory should be on our minds. When I say glory, I mean heaven. I mean eternity. Now are you the sons of God. But when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now are you the sons of God. Now. This doesn't change there. You are the children of God. You can rest in that. But you cannot rest from doing work here for His glory. If you think, well, my ticket's punched and I'm good, I need not do anything else. I'm regenerated, I'm justified, and I will be glorified. Nothing else is required of me. I implore you to repent of that dreadful sin and believe Christ. Believe God's word when he says that we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. Believe God's word when he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is him that worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Believe it when he says that he that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. This is why the Spirit has made you alive. Live in that way. Our last point here is our call of war. This very passage that we dealt with today actually is right before a call to war from Paul. Look at verse 12 and 13. So then, brethren, just right after what he just says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if you by the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I think it's KJV says to mortify the deeds of the body. That sounds like war, doesn't it? To put to death, to mortify the deeds of the body. You have been made alive in Christ by the Spirit. You have this hope of a future glory in you. Now mortify the deeds of your body. Why? Because your body is dead. Fight sin, brethren. When I say fight sin, I hope you don't misunderstand me and think I'm talking about focusing on your sin. I know that that's the idea that some, when, they, when they're talking about fighting sin, they, that's what they're talking about. Stay focused on this sin until you beat it. <laughs> You're never going to beat it like that. Matter of fact, your sins are going to follow you all with your grave. It's not a gazing upon your sin or yourself. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying fix your gaze upon Christ. For He has defeated sin. And He shall save His people from their sins. It's like being an obstacle horse. Race. You, did any of you ever did that? Your focus is on the obstacles, right? If it is, you're probably going to lose. If before the race you see this giant hill, you're like, I ain't going to be able to climb that hill. You see that deep water, you're like, I don't know if I can swim through that. You see that thick mud, you're like, that's too thick, I ain't going to even make it. Sometimes you put those big old tires out there, you got to flip that big old tire. I can't flip that tire. Focus on the obstacles. However, if your focus is on the finish line, what am I getting at the end of this? You will go through those. Quit looking at the obstacles and go to the finish line. Keep your, your gaze fixed upon the finish line. And our Christian walk is actually similar to this. Focused on Christ. 
who is the author and finisher of our faith. This is actually the exact picture that the writer of Hebrews gives us in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And it doesn't stop there. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is how we go to war. It's not focusing so much on the battles, but focusing on the one who won those battles for us already. Keep your gaze fixed upon Christ. That's our real battle here, right? With all the cares of the world, to keep your eyes fixed upon the King of glory. And while doing this, trying to bring some along with you to glory. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that why we're going out evangelizing? We want to bring some along with us. Stop for a second and think about this. That day when you walk into glory. You walk into glory and you're surrounded by those who you preach the gospel to. And the Lord used it to save that person. Can you imagine that? You get there, you're walking in the gates, and all of a sudden you're greeted by a whole bunch of people that you may not even know that they heard the gospel when you were preaching it. But God used it to save that person. Now you're in glory with them. And you get to spend all of eternity worshiping the King right alongside Him. That's what we do this for, right? Hopefully when we get there, we don't, <laughs> there ain't nobody there to greet us. But that's what we do this for. That's the war we're in. But that's the focus we should have. One that is fixed upon Christ and His eternal kingdom. So let's together lay down more of our lives for Him. Amen.